So Money, Episode 677, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host, financial advisor, Hillary Hendershot. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hillary Hendershot, welcome back to Ask Farnoosh. Happy New Year. I love this show. I love that I'm back and Happy New Year to you. And your family as well. You know, your daughter is one and a half, 18 months, and, uh, we were just talking everybody before we were recording how much we love being the mothers to daughters. <laughs> um, yes. I say this also as a mother to a son. I love my son, but something very special about being a mom to a, a young girl and also given, you know, what's happening in the world. And um, I was watching the Golden Globes last night with Oprah and her speech and it just kind of made, made everything seem like it, everything's going to be okay. It's a, it's a new, the dawn of a new era for women. It is. And it's, uh, or, you know, it was very, it's a privilege to be able to raise um, young girls in this era. And hopefully they won't have any, uh, any of the adversity that uh, we're, we're grappling with today. But uh, I sure hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I know you, what was the thing you just taught your daughter to say at her, when someone asks her age? Well, I felt like when she's 18 months old, so saying she's one year old isn't sufficient because I feel like parents are so specific. She's 19 months. She's 20 months. And so I taught her to say, I know, I taught her to say 1.5. So I asked her, how old are you, Harlan? She says 1.5. I love that. I love, what's her name, Harlan? It's H-A-R-L-Y-N. Lovely. I've never heard that before. And I... I'm glad I didn't hear it before I had my daughter. I would have named her that. That's so you beautiful. Stolen it. I would have stolen it. Uh, but Colette and Harlan will meet one day, and it'll be, I hope so. It'll be a great, great uh, meeting of the minds. All right. So I know that you have a very special event happening this month that I want you to tell us all about because it's a it's happening soon, and we want to get people attending if 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 it's a right fit for them. Thank you. So I believe a week from the day you're listening today Today's on January, right. on, on January 19th in San Jose, California, if you happen to be on the West Coast, I am hosting a one-day wealth building workshop. This is just for the ladies. So it's for women. And the reason, Farnoosh, is because whenever I stand up in a group of women and I say, hey, remember the last time you had a really great conversation with your girlfriends about money? <laughs> you could literally Never. hear a pin drop. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it isn't happening. And so I created this really intimate, I'm only selling 55 tickets. I've only got about 10 left event for the ladies so that we can cover a, a framework that I, I called, I call the seven steps to wealth. So we'll start with your mindset and give you a chance to kind of just just look at how has money gone for you up to now? What are you committed to out of that? What what are the, some of the mistakes you might've made? Some of the things you want to leave in the past? Because we tend to drag those forward and then really declare how money is going to go for you in the future. And then from there, we'll go into some really practical steps. I mean, everything from the, the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA and how to save and how to think about progressing your career. And, um, but all the way through that framework, the seven steps to wealth. So that, and, and the most important thing, what we 
we find that women mostly want is to connect with other like-minded women. So where are the women who really want to talk about money? And you're going to know that these women are going to have your back. And then you're going to leave with a custom wealth plan. So we're going to fill out this actual document, a physical document with numbers. I have my whole team there to support you and you'll figure out what actual numbers in your bank accounts it's going to take to get you on track this year and keep you there. Easy peasy. Yep. Find out more. Let me give the um, information page at profitbosslive.com. So it's just profitbosslive.com. All right. You know, actually I was talking to another busy working mom the other day and she said, you know, I love money. I love making it. I don't mind managing it, but I'm busy and I need to be able to manage my money in between meetings and on my phone and whenever it's accessible to me. You know, this idea of being able to like sit down for three hours on a Sunday, uh, I, I appreciate that, but I just can't do it. However, I think with going to your retreat, it kind of gives you kind of the, gets the engines going, right? And it kind of identifies all the things that you need to do. Plus you have the community, which is so invaluable. There's so much momentum, right? I mean, I think that's what women do best. We get together in circles and communities and meetups and we make things happen and it's powerful. And I know I have powerful business masterminds. And so I created this to be a powerful wealth mastermind. And just to remind our listeners about you, Hillary, although you've been a guest on the show many times, that if you're catching so money for the first time, you're adding it to your New Year podcast regimen and you're not familiar with Hillary Hendershot, she is the founder of Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management. You're based physically in the Bay Area, but you have a lot of presence online. You have a podcast, Profit Boss Radio, and um, and we're just really, really uh, fortunate to be able to call you a friend of the show. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm fortunate to be able to call myself a friend of the So Money Podcast. <laughs> a friend of Farnoosh and a, and a So Money friend. friend. Of- yes, absolutely. <laughs> F-O-F. Well, yeah, F-O-F. I like that. Um, we have a number of questions, Hillary, from listeners uh, that uh, you know you could probably uh, tease some of the stuff that you'll you know teach even more at the workshop. But there are questions about retirement. There are questions about um, you know just uh, investing, basic investing. So let's start with her name is, well, I don't know if it's a he or she, but V is just V uh, in quotations. It's fine to be anonymous. I don't mind. Um, the question is that I am a new listener. This person loves the down-to-earth, down-to-earth advice and real advice, down-to-earthness and real advice, um, has two daughters, 12 and 14. How do I teach them to invest? She's forward thinking, isn't it? I'm assuming V is a woman. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, this has to be a woman. What am I, well, who are we kidding? Who are what, we kidding? What man would ask that? <laughs> no, Especially for two daughters. No, no. Yeah. Yes, we don't know, but we are we are biased. Uh, and I think that's really forward thinking. I think it's great that, that that would get asked at their at the daughter's ages of 12 and 14. Absolutely. And, and really the goal, I don't think it's to really get them investing necessarily, but to introduce some of the principles and benefits of investing. A lot of people on this show come on and they say one of the things they wish they had learned when they were younger was just the basics, compound interest, you know, um, how the stock market operates. What is a stock? What are shares? Um, you know, how are, how do we value stocks? How do we invest? The how to is more important at this age than the, you know, the here's how you do it. Here's like the, the money to go and do it. Um, although there are a lot of programs, softwares, apps out there 
that can allow you to play around without any risk, simulations, things like that. But I think, um, well, it's good to have skin in the game, right? A little bit. Sure. A little sure. bit, <laughs> a little bit, you know, maybe I think, a little birthday money. Right. It's going to be hard to teach your daughters to invest if you haven't taught them about money. And so when I talk about teaching kids to invest, I always say the first thing to teach them is trade-offs. So they have to understand you can have this or that, but not both, right? Depending on how much money is in the pool. And so if they've got that, that kind of basic, okay, I get that money is a scarce resource. I mean, wealth in the world is infinite, but money in my personal ecosystem is a scarce resource. And so then they sort of start to think, okay, more is better. (laughs) And I think uh, I wrote down, you know, um, just to instill the idea that investing is for girls, investing is for women. Because I don't know if they've got the message that investing is for boys, but that's still pretty prevalent out there. It's not disappeared anyway. Um, I think that you could sit down at your monthly family money meeting and show them the investment statements. You could keep a little, keep a little bar chart or keep a little, keep a record of where the investment statements are over time so they can see that it's up some months and down some months, but mostly hopefully you've got a good investment portfolio and it's up more than it's down. (laughs) Right. And sometimes like the best stock advice, the kind of buy and hold stock advice is choose the stocks that you the companies that you believe in, you know, that you really are a consumer of and you believe in and um, maybe pick a few, like you mentioned, and track them as a family once a week, every day, however you want to um, download the appropriate apps to be able to follow the stock prices. And I think that what sticks more at this stage and really at any life stage are stories as opposed to numbers. So, exactly. you know, understanding how this company got built what is the mission of this company? How do they make their money? Who works here? Do we know anybody who works in this company? You know, to create a fabric of stories and application around what is otherwise a very, you know, hard to decipher thing. It's, it's not a very tangible thing. Stocks, what are they? You know, at 12 years old, even as an adult, sometimes we're like, it's so abstract. So to create stories, I remember David Bach came on the show way back when, and he remembered his grandmother Bach and how she took him to McDonald's. And she said to David, David, there are two types of people in the world. There are the people who eat at McDonald's and then there are the people who are invested in McDonald's. (laughs) I mean, there are more than those two types of people in the world, but she was simplifying it. I think he was like six. He told that story on my show too. (laughs) He did. Okay. So clearly it's a story that he likes. (laughs) That tells it for all the ladies. (laughs) It's it's his icebreaker. Um, But you know, it's, it's again, these stories. And I have a friend, uh, Susan Beecham, who runs Money Savvy Generation. I'll give her um, organization a plug. She's invented the Money Savvy Pig where it has, there's four slots. You can save your money, you can spend it, donate or invest. And when she first launched her company, her nonprofit and her company, she took, I think it was a bunch of first graders to a McDonald's shareholders meeting and then took them to McDonald's afterwards for lunch. And they kind of got to see like the inside and outside of how a company operates. And those kids 20 years later, remember that experience. So creating experiences and telling stories around the stocks that you choose will become, I think, a more lasting experience for them and in memory. And I think when they're older, it will become less of a scary thing, you know, or, or less of a foreign thing to them. They'll, they'll feel a lot more able to to approach investing with confidence and with comfort. 
Sure. And they'll have attained that thing they call unconscious competence, right? Their mm-hmm. friends will be spending all their money on makeup and they'll be checking their stock portfolio. So kudos to you. Yeah. So thank you, V, for your question. And uh, please let us know how things uh, shape out. Moses wants to know, does closing a checking or savings bank account impact your credit score? He wants to know because he's thinking of switching to a bank that has no fees or minimum balance requirement. Uh, the short answer is no, right? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Uh, and and I, and I wanted to kind of address something he said. He asked because he wants to switch to a bank with no fees or minimum balance requirement. Okay, so go ahead and close whatever bank account you want to close, except for there is no such thing as free. So if you go to a bank that doesn't charge fees in the account, you're getting charged somewhere. You just don't know about it, right? And so I don't, Uh, For me, banking services have value. I'm okay to pay for value. I think it's odd that millennials, some millennials I talk to want to go to a custodian that charges zero fees where you only get to access your money on your mobile device that you don't even get a web portal. And it's like, that's your money, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Go ahead and pick an institution that has longevity, that maybe charges small fees. I mean, Again, it's a it's a for-profit business, so they're making their money somewhere, and it's probably in whatever money market fund or wherever they're putting your money is charging you fees that are not transparent to you. So that's that's kind of what I picked up from what Moses asked. That's a really, really good point. Um, yeah, always check for those potential hidden fees. But one thing I will say is that if he has any credit cards attached to this bank, let's say uh, along the way he closes those checking and savings accounts, and then maybe inadvertently closes a credit card account because it was uh, affiliated with this bank, uh, that could impact your credit score, just to clarify. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just because we know that when you close a credit card, uh, there is the potential for you to lose that access to credit, that history as well, and those are all good ingredients for a healthy credit score, having longevity in the account. Sorry. I think the common rule of thumb is uh, creditors want to see you having three to five open lines of credit. So. All right. Yeah. I, I, that's a good point. It's, I didn't know the number attached to that, but that's, uh, you heard it here. Hillary said three to five. <laughs> I used to, I used to sell mortgage loans. So uh-huh. I've seen hundreds of credit reports and that, that, uh, as I, that back in the day, that was the magic number. Now I haven't done that for a decade or more, so, uh, it could be different, but that's what I know. Yeah, uh, things things take a while to change. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so. All right, Mel is wondering: Should again? I don't know if it's as a woman or a man. Mel could be Mel or Melanie. Mel or Melanie is a Roth IRA or 457b government deferred compensation plan better for a 27 year old who's just starting to save for retirement? I'm going to go with the Roth IRA. <laughs> so 457B is in large part, just like a 401k, a deferred comp plan, you're not going to get matching inside it. It is attached to a government institution. So if you're working for a for-profit company, you're going to get a 401k. If you're going to, if you're working for a government institution, you might get a 457B, but from a tax perspective, it works just like the 401k. And so the, the net answer to that is the Roth IRA is better for you if your taxes are higher in retirement. And the 457 is better for you if your taxes are lower 
in retirement mm-hmm. than they are now in the year when you defer the compensation, right? And so I think that's a uh, something that even a lot of financial advisors really don't understand is that in a parity for parity tax environment, the Roth IRA and the 401k uh, accounts, a traditional IRA accounts are the same. There's no net benefit. It's just that the, a lot of people think taxes are going up. And so, and, and actually Which this year, taxes, <laughs> well, most well, marginal tax brackets went down we, where we lost is the mortgage interest deduction, state yeah, income so tax if you're deductions. Not, if you're itemizing typically, you know, you're going to have to pay more in taxes if you're used exactly. to Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But so that's the answer. I think, uh, for news, your advice is probably correct just because there's so much more access to contributing to accounts like a traditional IRA, 401k, 403b, 457. Those are all the same. There, you, people have so much more access to those accounts versus the Roth. So if you have the ability to contribute to a Roth, go ahead and do it. And just to reiterate the other benefits of a Roth IRA, in addition to um, the fact that it's uh, uh, tax deferred, um, you can take your contributions out after you've basically been invested for five years, right? And and you won't be penalized for that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that's a benefit because you've taken the trouble well, to save it's yourself. Like sometimes, well, people like. Well, here's why: because, for example, people who want to save for college, right? There's the five twenty nine, and some people they'll use a Roth IRA because it's kind of a vehicle that they can use either for retirement or for other big savings goals like college. Whereas the 529 might have more restrictions in that your kid has to go to college and a, you know, an eligible college. Um, or, you know, if your kid gets a scholarship, what do you do? So then there's the Roth IRA where you can, there's more flexibility. In other words, you can use that money for higher ed, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a traditional college. Yeah. I know that the perfect shouldn't be the enemy of the good, but uh, investment strategies for college savings should be very different than investment strategies for retirement. And again, I know in a per- so in a perfect world, you would definitely have separate accounts for college savings and retirement savings, but I do know how life goes. People like the flexibility. I keep <laughs> yeah. it real here. You know, you're <laughs> down to earthness, but it's true. You are absolutely right. You, you know, it should be a last ditch effort to remove money from a retirement account for other purposes. Um, and, uh, but, but life happens. Life Um, happens. Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag life happens. (laughs) Uh, another similar question. Again, this is a, uh, retirement question. What are your thoughts on contributing to a 403B? This is Jen asking, she says, my employer also has a 401k and I currently contribute 4% of which 3% is matched, so total 7%. However, she says 403B contributions are not matched, so should I participate? I kind of feel like maybe she should go now for some tax diversification in retirement. So like you no, talked they're about- they're the same. What's that? 401k, a 401k yeah. and 403B are the same. Yeah, they're the same. So I don't know. She seems to be working for a very interesting organization that offers her a 401k and a 403b because 403b, 401ks are for for profits and 403bs are for nonprofits. So I don't know if she's working for a think tank or some kind of. I don't. Yeah, I don't I'm know. not quite sure. But um, but 403bs can have lower costs uh, because they're subject to less reporting requirements. So. 
I get to see lots and lots and lots of 401k plans. And most of them are really, really expensive with crappy investment selection lists. Um, so my basic assumption is always that the 401k is really top heavy and expensive. So if you can save some costs, maybe the 403b would be good. Uh, also some 403bs allow you to do catch up contributions after 15 years of service. Whereas in a 401k, you don't get to do a catch up contribution until you're age 50. So that could be a benefit. Um, so it, it may be better to go with the 403b, but were you recommending looking at a Roth? Only because of the ability to have some tax diversity, tax exposure, you know, with, like you mentioned, we don't know if taxes are going up or down. So you arrive at right. retirement, you've got this 401k, which will be taxed. Those allocations will be taxed, but a Roth wouldn't be. And so at least you're in some ways diversifying your tax exposure. Yeah. She didn't say, she didn't say that the Roth was an option. So I assumed she makes yeah. too much money. Okay. So maybe I was just <laughs> wishful thinking on my part. No. I was like, <laughs> just creating options for her that probably don't exist. Right. <laughs> but if you do have apps, if you do have the opportunity to invest in a Roth IRA, maybe that could be something to explore. But yeah, I'm also still just confused because I don't know of many companies that would offer both simultaneously, but, right. um, but it's good that she's taking advantage of her match. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she has additional savings funds left over. So that's great. And I mean, I guess, I guess given my, given the option, I would go with the 403B just because most 403Bs are less expensive than 401Ks, but I think you're, you're spot on. If I, if this person were in my office and she and her income qualified her to contribute to a Roth, I would definitely steer her that direction. Well, what about a brokerage account? Just like going on some automated investment platform where she can just put some money into a few index funds and pay a small, a smaller management fee than she would have broke, you know, maybe a, a firm. Um, well, so because way to put that money to work. Yeah. Because she gets to, con- she gets to deduct the 403B contributions from her income in the year she contributed. That's basically like a 30% net jump over contributing to a brokerage account. So to put it in a brokerage account, she would have to pay the 25 or 30% net effective tax rate. So it would be like putting $100 into the 403B or $70 into the brokerage account. And you just have to have so much additional growth to make up for that loss that I would say, if you can contribute in a tax deferred way, that's always preferable. All right. Thanks for that advice. And last but not least, Steve has a question, not about retirement, but about emergency funds. And he has heard the um, the, the adage that it's important to have a six-month emergency account, which we yep. teach. Um, he says that it could be, but he says that can be a lot of money. In some cases, it could be thousands of dollars, depending on your expenses. So how do you make a six-month emergency fund work in that you're leaving the money in there to serve you in the event of a nine one one. Um, but you know, but, but, you know, I guess he just wants to know how do you get there and how do you maintain it? Uh, how, how to make it work for you? Yeah. How to make it work for you. Um, I'm not really sure what he's asking, to be honest. I think I think he doesn't like letting his money sit in cash, and he wants to know if he can make his oh, have make his money work make for money you. for him. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking how you can make it work 
Uh, <laughs> like, how can, do I make it work? Well, you just put the money in the bank account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Sorry, that's Steve, my, that was my That's fault. always my reaction when people ask, how do you pay <laughs> off debt? I'm like, well, you write a check, you mail it in. Um, no, but <laughs> he wants to know if he can have his money working for him. And uh, you could consider some CDs, but honestly, interest rates are so low right now. It's almost a moot point. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't invest, you don't have a safety. Look, you're like you said, compartmentalized. Your strategy for retirement is different than it is for college, which is going to be different for your emergency fund. Your emergency mm-hmm. fund is not an investment account. It's not where you're putting money away to be able to you know, gain uh, the, the purpose is to have access to cash quickly in the event of an emergency, like your car breaking down, you're losing your job, your, your roof caves in, whatever, all the above. Um, and so it's not about making money on your money. It's about having your money there to serve you. Yeah. I remember when I first felt, first of all, I don't call mine an emergency fund. I call it a curveball account. I don't choose to have financial emergencies anymore. I had them in the past and they're not fun. Um, (laughs) So when life throws me a curveball, I have my curveball account. And I remember when that dollar amount seemed like a lot of money and I can get the perspective from which he's asking. And I guess, Steve, my core communication to you is if you've taken the time to save up six months of expenses, kudos to you, pat yourself on the back. And then my second message is just there will become there will be a time in your life that that amount of money won't seem like that much. It won't be that big of a deal because if you're saving that much now, your six month curveball account is filled. You can focus on other savings goals, you know, your next car, retirement, maybe you have a wedding coming up or you want to pay for a kid to go to college. Those numbers are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And that's just sort of a rite of passage financially. And it won't, it won't make, it won't, that amount of money sitting in cash won't seem like that big of a deal, but that's the whole thing with a curveball account is, you know, I think Schwab reports that something like 18% of our spending is in the lumps. So these big lumps, and you hear people complaining that, well, I try to get ahead financially, but life just, you know, eats away at it here. I need a root canal and now my brakes are bad. And it's like, but those aren't emergencies. You know, we know that we're going to have to have the breaks done. We just don't know when. So you've got to have enough cash sitting around to handle that so that it doesn't bring you to your financial knees. Um, so kudos to you. You're doing the right thing. And I guess my message is sooner or later, you'll just be really comfortable with that amount in cash. I agree. There's nothing like seeing your money pile up and I knowing know. <laughs> it's, it's like a very, Scrooge. <laughs> Oh my gosh. My son's favorite character over the holidays, um, Mr. Grinch. Oh, nice. He just loves the, he loves the story. I think I'm, I, the mom in me that's hoping he's not, um, a, uh, you know, a Grinch, a Grinch or a terrible person is that he loves, I think he likes the ending when his heart grows three times bigger <laughs> and then he goes and he sings and he eats the, you know, the, whatever, all the food. Yeah, well, I'm turning into the mom that won't let her kid watch the princess, the Disney princess movies. So I completely get it. Oh, I, I have some months, years before that becomes a, a crossroad. Um, I don't know. Ho- well, hopefully by then there'll be some solutions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a no frozen. So far we're watching Nemo. We're watching Nemo in my Nemo house. Is so great. But you know what? Frozen is special. I think because when she is supposed to get that true love's 
kiss. It's um, it's you know her sister crying or true love's. I don't know, true love's kiss or something to do with true love. It's the sister bond that that saves that's her life. It's not the, it's not the dudes. It's not the. Princes. I think so. I I think I see your perspective. I just I appreciate that. It's a nice the, tweak. The dresses and the helplessness and the I, I prefer I prefer strong models. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, relatively though, Frozen I think is better than say Rapunzel. True, you're a hundred percent on. <laughs> Hillary, you're amazing. Tell us how we can get more of you. Again, remind us about this uh, retreat that's happening later this month. Sure. Again, just for the ladies in San Jose, California on Friday, January 19th, 2018. If this is the year you're going to take control of your money, let me walk you through the seven steps to wealth in a small, intimate setting with just 50 other women. And and uh, you can find out more about that at ProfitBossLive.com. If you have room in your podcast lineup, check me out at Profit Boss Radio. And I'd love to see you there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hillary. And uh, wishing you all the best. We'll have you back soon. Okay. Thank you.